0: All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to Inside Writing. This show is presented by Gotham Writers, offering writing classes of all types and sizes. You can visit us online at gothamwriters.com. Before we get started, a few announcements. First off, the Gotham Writers Conference is officially open for registration. If you want a peek behind the publishing curtain, this is the place to be. And both of our panelists will be there as well, and so will I. So you can sign up and see what we have to say. Also, if you have a project that you're ready to pitch to agents, also a great place to be. Okay, regarding today, at any point in this show, you can use the Q&A function on your Zoom dashboard to ask questions of the panelists. Again, the sooner you get those in, the better. When I start to see questions piling up, I'll cut to audience questions. So the sooner you get in your Q&A for the panelists, the better. We also have the chat down there for general discussion. I ask that you keep general discussion in the chat and questions for discussion in the Q&A and lastly if you want to get caught up on any episodes of Inside Writing you can find us on Gotham Writers YouTube channel or any major podcasting platform and while you're there please like us subscribe leave a review it helps spread the word that we're out there now then on to the subject matter of the day we're going to be talking about publishing advances uh, so let's start with a quote, this one from Carlos Ruiz Zafon, who wrote, making money isn't hard in itself. What's hard is to earn it doing something worth devoting one's life to. All right, so let's meet our panelists. And again, we have two Inside Writing veterans on the show today. So our first panelist, agent at New Leaf Literary and Media, J.L. Sturmer. Hello, J.L.
1: Hey.
0: Hey there. And our second panelist, literary agent at Verve, Noah Ballard. Hello, Noah. What's up? Hello. Great to be here. Yeah, welcome back, you two. So we're going to start with some basic definitions just to get them out of the way. So, JL, in the simplest terms, what what is an advance?
1: An advance. An advance is the money that a publisher uh, forwards you. They advance you a certain amount of money that you, the author, has to earn out via book sales. Your percentage goes back to earning out that advance. And once you earn that money out via sales, then you start getting your own uh, royalty check. So I think that's, and that's probably too far. It's the money that a publisher gives you. It's the money that a publisher uh, offers you right off the top for your project, if you're lucky enough to get it. <laughs> gotcha.
0: <laughs> Noah, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially
2: the minimum amount of money that the publisher thinks that your percentage of royalties is going to equal. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, is the money you see up front. Uh, if you're a nonfiction writer, it's the money that you're given to go out and do the thing you're going to do that you've proposed. Uh, for a fiction writer, it is the sort of you know, reason that you slaved on all these drafts of this manuscript that you've been working on. Um, and it sort of keeps you, keeps you going leading up to publication.
0: So Noah, what are royalties then? So royalties, uh, sort of
2: complicated, but so royalties are based on how much a book sells for and then how much of that money is allocated to the bookseller, the publisher, and the author themselves. So if you look at the back of your average hardcover book put out by a major publisher it's probably around $28 uh, and then so most publishers will say okay from that $28 that you buy from Barnes & Noble or from Amazon or whatever local indie that you shop at uh, a percentage of that is considered the author's share and the uh, the royalty that most major publishers charge is, uh, is based on the list price so you will always participate at 10 or 12 or 15% of that $28, regardless of what the discount is uh, for the actual book and how much the, the, the buyer is actually spending on that book. And there's, of course, a couple of asterisks there uh, about sharp uh, high discount and sharp discounts and stuff like that. Uh, but for the most part, you know, for a $28 book, the author's getting like $3 towards the advance that they were given to slowly earn that money back. And then anything over that, his money
0: in their pocket JL, do you have anything to add to that about royalties
1: um no that was that was fairly uh succinct i mean i think the main thing that people want to know here is like how much am i getting and like how long you know like how how does it affect me and sometimes it's quite sobering uh to know that your percentage is 10 or 12 percent or 15 percent um you know that that's the deal when you when you work with a publisher but no i feel like noah covered it really well
0: Okay, so I want to talk, we're gonna spend most of the show talking about advances and how those are calculated. So Noah, I, I want to start with you here. Does, does genre of the book matter when it comes to calculating in advance and how much does it matter?
2: I would say yes and no. I mean, each space that one publishes into has its own sort of commercial thing that goes along with it. And so if you're publishing say a book club fiction novel, that has a higher commercial appeal than a more literary short story collection, for example. Um, so while you, know, you may get six figures plus for you know, this beach read, book club fiction, whatever it is, you know, it may be more like the five figures for something that's considered more literary. Um, And that, you know, I mean, getting into different spaces as well, you know, when it comes to books that are like sold in series like romance uh, or even books for kids that are sort of uh, the whole success is sort of how well did these three to five books sell? You know, the per book advance is going to be lower, but the, you know, the whole thing is going to probably be a larger amount of money, hoping that the series does take off, but not bankrupting the
0: publisher if it doesn't. Jale, anything to add to that as far as how much genre matters?
1: Sure. I mean, I think for me, when I first started working at New Leaf, New Leaf was predominantly, um, you know, YA fiction, a lot of fantasy, a lot of um, a lot of genre fiction, and my uh, my mainstay is adult nonfiction. So when I first started working at New Leaf, like you know, my colleagues were doing these like incredible like six figure deals. They were they were really kind of churning it out. And as Noah was saying, nonfiction can be a different. You can definitely hit it like that but it is, you know, having a dedicated fan base to a certain character or genre, you know, means a lot more books are being sold. That means that you can get a higher advance. So I think it is, um, I think it is in uh, alignment with, you know, how commercial is your idea, you know, to the point about literary, literary you know, a smaller audience usually yields a little bit of a smaller uh, advance. Not that there isn't room for growth, but I do, I do think that you see a variance.
2: And one thing to add to the, you know, the advance And we I'm happy to focus on that, you know, through the conversation today, but the advance is just the money you see up front. So in a lot of cases, while there are those like humongous blockbuster sales up front where, you know, the author participates in six or seven figures. Uh, the books that really like, you know, make a movement or really dictate like what is commercial are oftentimes books that, you know, sold for $50,000 and then performed way more than anyone thought they would and the real money to be made for authors and for agents is through those royalties once the advance is earned out. You know, that's how you kind of make a career. It's not from the sort of front list advanced sale, but it's, Oh, this book had a 20 year life on it. So we can all kind of, uh, you know, live on that money.
0: Mm-hmm. And I want to get yeah, back to
1: Oh, sorry. I was, I was just going to say, that's a really good point. And that is what we're kind of gearing towards because that has some kind of longevity and different agents approach things differently too. I mean, some people want big advances and that's what they're about. And then other people, you know, you want to kind of have a balance, right. Um, But, but I do think that that um, that that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. I want to get,
0: I want to get back into that, but I would just have two more questions on advances just in terms of getting an idea of what can factor into it. So JL, presumably debuts advances are less is that generally the case
1: i mean it can it can be i mean i think a lot of it is contingent upon what your platform looks like what are you bringing to the table and i think it's different for word fiction and for non um you know i think you can cultivate these days you can cultivate a fan base even when you're working in certain you know a certain genre fiction um you know whether it is uh you know on social media or you're you know, posting your stuff at different websites, you know, like different platforms that people are kind of gravitating towards you and you can show that and that can, um, that can uh, get it advanced up. Also, how many editors are interested in it, If you send something out, and you got a lot of different editors interested, then you have some leverage and then you can, um, you know, you can kind of work those angles so debut can be um, one of the most exciting things that an editor can see uh, based on what you bring into the table and how we're able to position it.
2: Right, because there is no track record for a debut, especially for debut fiction. Oftentimes I would say the, the spectrum for the amount of money you can expect on a debut novel is so much wider than even a successful second or third novel because you kind of know where that person's going to land. Like if their debut novel sold 50,000 copies, you know it's the question of, okay, can we expect to sell at least 50,000 more copies of the second book? Will it get bigger? Can we build this person? Or are you gonna see like a fall off there? Like, is it going to be less because like this book was the biggest thing they're gonna do and everything else is sort of gonna go downhill from there. Uh, so that's part of the calculation. But the more numbers you have in front of you, the more track record you have, the easier it is to kind of, you know, tailor expectations and temper expectations. Whereas with a debut novel, like that's why you see some of these crazy sales happen is because there's there's no track record. And if there's 10 other people interested, then those numbers get a little crazy.
0: So, so Noah, would you say that it can that it's, I mean, it's hard to say this is not really a black and white question, but is it better to get a small advance in some cases?
2: With with certain caveats and asterisks, um, I would say yes. For For the way I do business, I think it makes more sense if you want your career to be as an author of books, especially in the fiction space, it's better to go with the editor and the publishing company that you feel like is going to be most passionate about your work because ultimately, no matter what kind of money you got up front, that doesn't guarantee sales. What guarantees you know that push being made for your work is collaborators on the inside of that publishing company that really champion you know getting the word out about you and the work that you've done. Um, you know, I think we've seen a lot of cases where debut novels were bought for seven figures and they were considered crushing failures because they only sold 200,000 copies. And like, that wasn't what the publisher wanted it to do. And then those people either have to relocate houses for much smaller advances or some of them just like, that's it. And you like, don't hear from them again. Um, that being said, someone offers you a million dollars for a novel that you wrote, like take that money, uh, but ultimately I think you have to kind of, and that's sort of the role of the agent here uh, and I'll definitely correct me here, but like seeing your, the track and the trajectory of one's career, like starting at a reasonable advance that can be recouped so you can keep writing oftentimes equals more money long-term than just like one six or seven figure advance that you will never earn back.
1: I, I mean, I totally agree with that. And that that's my, you know, it's, I think that the pressure comes when you start to see, like, what are your friends doing? What are other people getting? And like the momentum of people getting excited about that kind of stuff and dreaming of that, you know, like that is, it's a real kind of thing to contend with. But I think for career track, I mean, yeah, because once you're out there and once you have a career track, like it could be great or it could be iffy and then you kind of have to navigate. But I think I am an advocate. (laughs) I am an advocate for smaller advances because you can earn it out more quickly Um, you know, and I think that that's also a, um, um, you know, related to the experience that I've had regarding maybe kind of niche adult nonfiction things that I do tell people that like, you're at the beginning of this movement, this is a new idea, you're an expert in this space. And like, your platform is going to continue to grow as is this topic that we're talking about. So you know, the idea to kind of have that be that first book and to be, um, you know, uh, the go to for a certain subject matter, like sometimes it happens, you get less money, um, you get less money up front. So I think that there are pros and cons to each but i agree for a st- for a steady you know for it's better to it's better to earn out a smaller advance and show that you have some kind of good track record and then just kind of you know g- grow from there um but yeah if somebody offers you a million dollars like what are you gonna do <laughs> you're gonna take a trip <laughs> so yeah
0: so jail would you say that it's damaging for a career if you get a big advance and don't earn it out
1: I mean, I don't know if I would say damaging, I mean, but I mean, I don't want to be like hyperbolic, but like, it's not the best, it's not the best, right? I mean, I think that, I think that if that happens, it is upon the, I, I feel like, when you say that, what I think is I would want to have a powwow with my author, like things aren't going well, we have to drive the the, the narrative, we have to figure out between the, you know, between us and the team, like at New Leaf, like we have somebody that does like strategy and like have a conversation about this was not working. And like, if we want to move forward, what do we have to do on our end to have a, um, to have something that is going to distract or take into account what happened, but rewrite the story. It's kind of like, you know, I don't want to say crisis management, but kind of, because you got it's out there in the world. You have to account for it, but then you have to pivot and you have to say, this is what we're doing now. This is what we see going forward. So there's always a way to like shimmy around, but it can be, it's hard if somebody gives you a lot of money and, but, but also it's like, and I'm sure Noah has had this experience. Sometimes the publisher pays you a lot of money and then they don't do their their due diligence on the back end and they don't spend enough money on marketing and they don't really put their back into it in the way that they should to kind of compensate for the advance that they got and then they want to blame it on you. So it's like, it's a delicate dance that we do. No one's laughing. You've had this, ha- right? Like, you, like it happens, it happens.
2: For sure. Um, yeah. yeah, no, and I think it's, Because keep in mind too, it's, I mean, there's of course the the financial prospect and there's the financial arrangement there, but it's also about building, you know, if you want to be a long-term author, there's about building a relationship there. So I see more benefit to being, and it's, it's almost like more sympathetic in the marketplace too, to be a breakout surprise hit than it is to be a colossal failure of, you know, having this huge advance and like having everybody in the industry talk about you for six months. And then, I don't know, I almost think that there's, I mean, maybe this is not, you know, super nice to say, but I almost think that people are rooting against those bigger books too, because it proves this larger point of like, you paid all this money publisher for this book. And then like, what are you going to do to make it work? And in a lot of cases, like JL saying, like the answer is like, uh like, you know, we were excited about it during the auction, but like when it comes to actually making it work, like, what does that look like? But there's, I think that there's more strategy and it's easier to to take a book that, you know, has a lot of momentum naturally building for it that then finds a nice space in the market that can then, you know, you earn out and then you earn stuff on top of it. And then your six or seven figure advance comes for the second, third or fourth book because you've built a relationship and you've built a track for yourself. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think behind all of these, you know, splashy seven figure sales stories, there's something that like is not, maybe that great for somebody, Um, you know, whether that is, you know, the relationship between the publisher and the author themselves, whether it was the author then has to move to a different house, uh, publishing house, or or maybe actual house, um, you know, if you have that much money. Um, But then, yeah, there is that pivoting that has to happen, which is definitely not like the place of strength you want to be in if you succeeded and went past expectations.
0: Noah, do agents haggle over advances? Like if you get a number back that you don't like, is that something you'll go to bat for? Or is it just kind of whatever they say is what goes?
2: No, that's my, that's my job. Uh, I, no matter what comes in, we say, that's too low. Give me something better. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, that's, and certainly different agents have different uh, ways of doing business. Uh, for me though, like the offer that comes in initially is, is a starting place. And I think most publishers know that. Uh, and then, depending on the weather and depending on who else sort of comes to the table, you know that's how you find yourself in an auction situation mm-hmm.
0: Gail, anything to add to that about if you get an advance that's that you don't agree with?
1: yeah, I mean, i was looking I was looking on the bottom of my screen for the reaction um button, but I didn't see it because I was gonna put like a like a party sign or you know like a <laughs> thumbs up or like you know. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, that, that's, that's really our job as agents. And as Noah said, like, whatever the, you know, the first offer is not unless somebody says this is, you know, I'm just telling you, this is all we can do, you know, and somebody would say that beforehand, but it's rare that that happens. I mean, like, that's our job is to, um, is to, is to haggle, as you say, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, because we, because we know that there's, there's room for um, improvement. And uh, so, Yes. Have
0: you ever gotten an advance that you felt was too much? I mean, does that ever happen or do you do you just kind of roll with it?
1: That's never happened to me. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm, never. I'm open to it. I don't know. I don't know what, what it would look like, but that's never happened to me.
2: <laughs> that's never happened to me, but I definitely have been in a situation where there have been offers that are close and I've advised a client to take the ultimately what was the lower offer because I liked the publisher better and I liked the editor's vision better. Uh, but that was the case of like being off by a couple thousand dollars. It wasn't, you know, it it wasn't apples and oranges.
0: So when a book, you know, Noah, you mentioned the momentum that a book has, and I'm sure this is not an easy question to answer. Where does that momentum come from? What can the author be doing to build momentum?
2: That's interesting. And I think that's the big question that all publishers and agents would love to figure out, um, I think it's it's first important to acknowledge like the dual economies that are happening so there's the economy of me selling a book to an editor who's competing with their pool of uh, other people that they you know work adjacent to so there's like the economy of oh Noah has this flashy book that we all want and like let's get into an auction for that and then there's the economy of the publishers selling the book to bookstores to accounts and then to readers and I think that there's oftentimes a very little correlation between my economy and the reader economy. Mm. Uh, So keeping in mind that I think a lot of publishers like to lean on the fact that, and I think it's perpetuated by the way in which uh, deals are reported, but they wanna make the deal itself kind of the focal point for the early buzz for something. And I think we've seen time and time again, You know, the books that people have trouble talking about beyond the fact that they paid a lot of money for them are the books that like are not going to hit readers because like they don't care about that. Uh, But when you find more and more the ease with which people are talking about books, uh, I find that like you kind of know that like, oh, if you can get this down to a couple, a couple words, a couple, maybe even a sentence of like, oh, that, that sounds great. You know, I think you saw that very quickly for like where the crawdads sing, for example, like not the splashiest of sales, but like once we kind of had like a, a couple of buzzwords about the author and her backgrounds and then like what the book was itself, like it was like, I, I feel like people are gonna talk about this. Uh, you know, I think the same thing happened for three women as well. You know, like once you sort of had that line of like, oh, it's about three women who are going through like these, these various cases that are sort of, you know, symbolic for a larger American crisis. And then you have, you know, a journalist who's been working on this for like 10 plus years. You know, the sale itself was not what was compelling about it. It was the pitch for the book. Uh, and I think that's what we try to focus on, especially as agents, like really keeping the pitch for the book front and center, not the economy around
0: it. JL, do you have anything to add to that? And also just focusing on what the author, if they can do anything, it, because it all sounds very just dependent on the the flow of the market. So is there anything the author can do?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think I think that, you know, the author can see where, pardon me, their book and their project aligns with what's going on in the world. I mean, and I think, I think that that's, you know, I think that that can, I think that that can work for, I mean, definitely for commercial fiction and even in genre fiction, if you can reflect, you know, something even within your genre, reflect some kind of like, you know, thought pattern and conversation that's going on in the world and making it relevant. I think that, you know, it, it is, If the author can uh, make those connections and see, you know, where, you know, this would connect with a larger audience and why, um, I I think that that that's something that they can do. And that can come via, you know, the content itself, like the characters that you're writing, the problems that people are, you know, the conflict that's happening with people. Um, You know, I feel like there's always like a spate of dating books, you know, written about, you know, like... Guys that won't commit or, you know, like whatever is kind of happening in, you know, in the world, like having a fictionalized version of that, I think can be appealing to people who are looking for, you know, uh, commercial fiction. And again, anything that's kind of talking about, you know, race or, you know, I, I mean, just we have a very wide variety of subjects right now that people can write about. So I think that showing you know, and this, pardon me, goes for nonfiction as well, showing why your book is relevant now. Why, why are people going to want to read your book now? And I think that, that making those connections for the agent who can then help get the pitch together and then inform, you know, using that pitch and informing um, the editor so that they can hopefully pass it on to the rest of their team and do the behind the scenes work that we were talking about earlier. Like it's the momentum comes, the momentum comes from the author. I got to tell you, like the momentum comes from the author and I'm having this reaction right now because somebody, there's a really nice person who I've been in kind of casual conversation with who keeps coming back to me and being like, you know, I don't know what I want to write. I don't know what I want to write. And I'm kind of like, dude, like you got to figure that out. And you have to be really excited about it because I'm down to get excited. Like I'm here for the excitement, but like you can't uh, be asking me what you should write because you think I'm an agent and I know what's going on in the world. I have the same access that you have To be honest, at this point in time, so it's up to you to kind of, you know, um, get that get that momentum going in in the aforementioned ways. Was that helpful? <laughs> yes, it was.
0: <laughs> no, anything to add to that?
2: No, I think that that's really smart because, like, no one's going to be more excited about your book than you are. You know, we're just fine. I think the role of an agent is really just finding opportunities for an author to succeed. But without that initial nugget of an idea and that passion, you know, especially I think in nonfiction, you know, because you're going to have to talk about this thing for for months and months and months, if not years. If I mean, God forbid the book really works, you're going to to talk about it for the rest of your life. Uh, So really being excited about that. you know, is really, I think, the core of where, you know, the inevitable marketing and publicity campaign comes from. And then our jobs is to sort of take your raw passion about that and find a compelling pitch that can then be regurgitated and, uh, you know, iterated over and over again, uh, you know, to the publisher, to the various teams there, and then to the booksellers and the readers.
0: So, JL, we've mentioned this, this phrase earning out a few times. What does that mean? And how important is it?
1: So earning out is, uh, it's in regards to your advance, which is that initial uh, money that you get upon having a book deal. Um, And what you're looking to do is, uh, you know, your percentage of the royalties, basically it's kind of like um, somebody, they loan, you know, the publisher loaned you the money and you got to pay it back. I mean, that's really what it is and how you pay it back is uh, via these, the, the royalties. So, you know, how do you earn out? you know, you sell a lot of books, you, you know, you do your best to educate your audience um, to as to the importance of pre orders. Um, I think that that's like a huge thing that is important. I'm seeing that more and more with my clients, like doing the education work, like it's great if your fans and your family and your friends and everybody, you know, supports you and they say they're going to buy the book. But really, I mean, and again, it's more, it's more kind of responsibility on the author's end to make sure that you're corralling, I feel, like maybe at some point back in the day that was like on the publisher's plate. But now that we all have access to our own niche audiences, it is, you know, educating your your fan group, your community about or doing pre-orders because anything that's ordered up until the day of publishing and whatever is sold on the day of publishing are the things that kind of make us flashy um, you know uh, get on the New York times bestseller list and just are good for you um, in general. So, so, and I went off a little bit, but that is a part of earning out is, you know, making sure sell, selling the book, selling the book, selling the book. And then is it important to earn out? I mean, it's good for you in terms of longevity, in terms of your career. It's showing the publisher that they made the proper investment in you and maybe they even undervalued you, you, you do a little bit, you know, based on seeing how, how much you make afterwards. But um, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it is um, prohibitive, but it gets increasingly more and more challenging if you haven't earned out you know, how many chances are you going to get? Like how many ways can we like spin it? So it is something, it is important. It, import- it is not essential, but it is important.
2: And keep in mind too, that you don't have to pay back the advance no matter how horribly your book does. Uh, I had a client call me in tears once being like, I just got my first royalty statement and I like owe $60,000 and I like don't have it. And I was like, you don't have to, you don't have to pay that back. It's yours, keep it. Um, So that's one thing to keep in mind. You don't have to pay it back.
1: Uh, The
2: other thing is that because the publisher, your royalty share is 10, 12 and a half or 15%, but the publisher's percentage is like 50%. So keep in mind that like they make money before you make money. So there are books out there that have only, that have not earned out that are successful for the publisher because they've paid back the $100,000 or whatever they've paid you faster than you've earned out that percentage. So keep in mind too that, you know, I mean, there's like the famous Andrew Wiley quote of like, the most successful authors never earn out because like the advance was at such a great rate that the publisher made money and the author made money, but it never earned more than that. Um, so that, keep that in mind too, uh, when you're doing the math in your head uh, that they're participating at about half the list price.
0: How often would you say authors don't earn out? Is it fairly common or has it never happened?
2: I'd say for the, most of the time that authors do not earn out.
1: It's common. But, I think it's yeah. very common for, for authors not to earn it's out. It's
2: the vast majority of books, I would say.
0: Okay.
1: And, but that's uh, not to say
2: that they're not successful. Like you don't necessarily have to earn out uh, to be successful and to then have another
1: book.
0: Mm-hmm. So I want to get on this notion of being a full-time writer since this is something that so many people have as a goal. Noah, how can people best set themselves up to be a full-time writer? I mean, this is a big question, but just some general building blocks for people that are just getting started and they have this notion of this is what I want to do with my life. How do you start?
2: I think it, yeah, I mean, it depends on your space and what kind of writing you're doing. Uh, A lot of the nonfiction authors that I work with, for example, a lot of them, you know, live and die on journalism and magazine writing, and, you know, having staff jobs for various publications. uh, And that's kind of the main thing. And then, you know, we infuse them with a book advance every couple of years, uh, which is great. And that's how they make money. Um, For fiction writers, you know, I think it's in this economy, pretty tough to just be writing fiction prose for a living. Uh, You know, that being said, you know, of course, look at the clients that I work with every few years. Again, we infuse them with a, an advance, um, you know, for their next novel. Uh, but I don't know that. While it's never been a better time to try to publish fiction in the world, it's never been a worse time to try to get money to produce fiction and publish fiction in the world. Um, so that can be a challenge. You know, a lot of the fiction writers that I work with are professors uh, at universities. You know, or they have some totally unrelated job. Um, what's been fun about the The move that I made from just a straight literary agency, Curtis Brown, to Verve, um, which is more of a talent agency, is that, you know, we're now finding opportunities for some of those fiction writers to work in other mediums. So to like pick up TV staffing jobs or to like take a pass at a movie script that needs, you know, a polish or something like that. Uh, So there are opportunities like there's never been more creative media being pushed around to various streamers and channels and movies and all of that kind of stuff, podcasts, reality, you know, you name it. There's people looking for creative people to do that. But I think it is in this day and age really about diversifying your portfolio of work. Like, I think it is worth sitting down over that, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months and like writing that pilot or writing that spec script or you know, pitching that podcast or whatever it happens to be that you can not lean totally on the advance for a book or the idea that the New Yorker is going to pay you $10,000 for your short story, Uh, because that economy is not one that I think that props up a lot of people.
0: JL, what about you for people that want to be full-time writers? What would you, what would you suggest?
1: I mean, and I have a lot of, you know, I have a lot of nonfiction clients as well, um, who are journalists. I love working with journalists for a variety of reasons. And one of which is like, they're doing other stuff. Right. So, I mean, like nobody, you don't want to call your agent and be like, I can't, you know, I can't pay my rent. Cause we're kind of like, it's so, it fluctuates so much. It's such kind of like a long game, you know, situation. It's, it, um, I think, you know, not only to maintain, you know, your, your own sanity, but just to kind of, um, like flow your creative energy in the way that you want it to, which is not being worried about money. You want to be able to write the thing that you want to write in the way that you want to write it and stressing about money all the time. is not going to help you. I mean, I don't think maybe it helps you, but I don't think that it's very helpful. So I think that, you know, having another, having another job and figuring out, you know, like plotting, planning, Um, you know, I think that all those suggestions that Noah made are good in terms of if you're writing, um, you know, seeking other opportunities, but I think that just not putting all of your eggs in one basket, you know, I think that that is an important and maybe at some, some point you will be able to, but I think that it is actually more gratifying to have a lot of burners going. So when something pops and then when you leave it alone, it's cooking and then when it's ready and then when it's ready, it's probably better just for your for the flow of your energy, but like, it's hard. It's hard to just only, especially in the beginning to just earn all of your um, income from writing.
0: Noah, do you think it's easier for fiction writers or for nonfiction writers versus fiction writers or is there a difference there? Uh, in terms of making money? Uh, yeah, in terms of making money and in terms of doing this full time.
2: Like I said, I mean, I think there are ample opportunities on both sides of it. I think the nonfiction's a little bit more streamlined. Uh, you know, for pitching a story to a magazine or pitching, pitching something to a newspaper or working for a website, you know, there there have never been, you know, as you know major media is consolidating, there still have never been more outlets for which you can be a writer. Uh, you know, I think for fiction, you have to get a little bit more crafty. You like have to think of yourself, not simply as a fiction writer, but as a creator of content, you know, and figuring out, okay, is this a book and is the book the best use of my time at this moment? Especially if like you're under contract for something already, maybe this cool idea that you have for the sci-fi story is better as a script or is better as, you know, something on like for an audio original or something like that, which is a huge market. You know, I think there are, and that's, you know, part of my job is collaborating with my clients being like, you know, I love this idea for this, but since like we're already kind of running up to the publication of something else, you know, of course you'll have like the option book that you'll want to send, but like maybe in the short term, if you're worried about like making money over the next six months, like maybe we, you know, think about you occupying a different space for this kind of storytelling. Um, And I think you see more and more, you know, the, the big fiction writers out there are finding success, you know, even if they're not getting things produced, they are, you know, they have their foot in Hollywood or they have their foot in, you know, stage adaptations where they have their foot in the audio game or whatever it happens to be. But I think for fiction, you need to sort of allow yourself to be more of a creative force um, outside of just
0: prose writing. JL, do you have anything to add?
1: Um... No, I, I got so into what Noah was saying. I forgot what the question was. What was the question?
0: <laughs> it was just the difference between fiction and nonfiction. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. No, actually,
1: I was thinking of something and then I let it go, um, which was a lot of people are, in. you know, if you're an expert in your field and you're an influencer, I think there are a lot of other revenue streams that you can have, you know, in terms of like, what are you doing on IG? Are you doing kind of like sponsored posts? Like a lot of people that I work with, either they're journalists or they're spokespeople for a specific, you know, cause, um, you know, so I think that uh, you know, working in an industry that is aligned with a book that you're writing too, is like very, like that, that's also very good for your book too, because you're building your platform. So I do feel like for nonfiction, it is a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, that's it.
0: Gotcha. (laughs) So I want to get to audience question because we've got so many coming in here. I want to make sure I get to as many as I can. Uh, so JL, let's start with you. When earning out, is there a standard payout rate or how much each book counts for?
1: Um, well, I think this question is asking for, uh, you know, about royalty percentages, if I'm understanding it correctly, which means that a certain percentage of your book is going to, um, you know, at the beginning, the, the traditional, uh, scenario for a, uh, a hardcover book is that you start off at 10% of the list price. And then after a certain number of copies are sold, let's say maybe 5,000 copies are sold, there's an escalator and it bumps you up to 125 percent. And then usually after. Or another 5,000 copies, it will bump you up to 15%, and then you stay there. Um, these are these are negotiable, and they're not. Um they're not, uh, you know, taken for granted. I've definitely done debut. Sometimes if you don't have a track record, they don't want to give you an escalator. I've seen that more and more um, that you kind of have to earn your escalation. But to your to this question, um, you know, you'll earn a smaller percentage, you know, for the 10%, the 10%, you know, so it's whatever, how much, or however much it is, you're starting off at $2, and then it's 250. And then it's $3. So that's the money that goes into earning out Uh, the advance. So after 10, you know, so it's after 5,000, the money gets, uh, it's a little bit higher. And then, and then after 10,000, is that clear?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely.
2: And also keep in mind too, that the advance is paid out in typically quarters. So you'll get like, if it's a hundred thousand dollar advance, you get 25 for putting your name on the piece of paper, you get 25 for turning in the book you get 25 when it then comes out in hardcover, and then you get 25 when it comes out in paperback or typically 12 months after uh, whatever comes sooner, 12 months after the hardcover publication. So keep in mind that this advance is also not being paid out in full immediately.
0: So next question, Noah, let's start with you. Is working under a pseudonym or a pin name for a fiction book a disadvantage? No,
2: maybe. Uh, well, I just sold a book that was uh, for an author who had a track record that was not stellar uh, in a slightly different space than she's writing in now. Uh, so we opted to use a pen name for that submission, uh, A, because it was a different genre and B, because of the aforementioned track record. Uh, and we were able to do that. Um, that's like what Jale was talking about when you have to like pivot and get crafty uh, in terms of you know, positioning after a book doesn't maybe hit as well as you thought it would. Um, That being said, you know, if you're a debut author and you have no track, using a pen name, unless there's a really good reason that it would like hurt your other professional life, I mean, you want your name on there so you can attract that group of your core fans and your family and your friends and all that and have people be like, oh, I didn't know so-and-so wrote a book. Like, I'm going to buy that. I'm going to pre-order it. Uh, So you want to give yourself the most options possible. And You know, if it is a matter of obscuring who you are and that could potentially hurt you, then yes, in that case, I think you'd probably want to go with your own name.
1: I think think that pseudonyms are so funny because I feel like a lot of times people think that it's like a mysterious, sexy thing and people don't want to be known. And like, little do you know, it's like you're trying to fix something that happened beforehand. (laughs) You know, like it's not, I don't think it's as glamorous as people think it is. And sometimes I find, you know, people want to use pseudonyms maybe because they haven't even like, They're like afraid of their own work. You know what I mean? Like they're not even ready to like fully represent in terms of what it is that they're writing. Like there's, I I find the the discussion of pseudonyms so fascinating because it it comes up on a regular basis. Um, And I'm glad we're kind of talking about this in a kind of uh, frank and candid way. Just because, um, like what, like you know, like Noah said, like what don't you want people to know you've been working hard on it? Like you wrote this amazing book. Like you want people to like, they know your name, remember your name. Um, but of course there are always instances where, um, you know, you, you know, you, you for safety or protection, or like you were saying about your um, about your profession that it wouldn't necessarily jive. But um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I had a former colleague who is an agent and then she also writes fantasy books. And so she writes those under a different name because she doesn't want her writing career to affect her agent career. So like that again, and she's a best-selling author now. Um, so things like that do work out if you have a compelling reason to do that. But again, this person was a known quantity because she already had her foot in the publishing industry because of her being an agent.
0: Next question, JL, we'll start with you. Do you have any examples of a book that started out with low expectations or small advance and then took off meteorically and earned huge royalties?
1: Um, I mean, uh, I'm not necessarily on my list right this moment, but the first person that I thought of, and I actually thought of this person earlier when Noah was talking about something else, is, um, Roxane Gay, you know, I think that when, you know, um, when everybody was kind of coming out and talking about publishing paid me and, you know, there was a lot of transparency as far as that was concerned. Um, Um, and of course, I'm forgetting that it, um, um, bad feminist. I think that it's sold for like fifteen thousand dollars or something like that. And paperback
2: you, original,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean like yes, and it was a paperback original. It wasn't, it wasn't even um, a hardcover book to start off with. And then like, you know, that her her career took off and it was like it's great in that it earned out and now she's you know making royalties, but also the way that we were looking at it was like, wow, you don't even see the potential and value that this person has. Um, you know, so I think that those can be stories of of vindication. Um, uh, and I definitely think that it's a possibility again, based on like, what is happening in the world? How are you positioning your book? You know, maybe you were a little bit too early on something and now you see an opportunity and the world has changed and it's time for you to talk about whatever it is that your book is talking about. So, um, I definitely think that it's a, it's a possibility.
0: Noah, yeah I, mean, I think
1: you
2: i think you see it all the time uh like one of my favorite books i think of a of 2018 uh, was bad blood uh, about theranos and it was the the poems um about that whole startup thing and like the true crime behind that and that book sold for 50 grand uh and then was one of the bestsellers of that year and won all these awards um from my list uh my writer tochi on his book riot baby which is above my shoulder here We sold that for like four figures and it's now, in it's like 15th printing and has made so much money in royalties that like he is now a full-time writer. Uh, So there are those success stories where, you know, there's something little that really like hits, you know? I mean, his happened to be tied into, you know, the mashup of, you know, these larger questions of racial inequality as told through like a superhero story. So it was like two things that really kind of balanced out in the zeitgeist of 2020. Um, but yeah, so like, it's really about being in that moment, but then like we negotiated the royalties and the contract in a way that if the book did hit, you know, he would thrive. And so that's what he's doing now. Uh, and then again, he's one of those people who's now exploring different mediums, uh, in order to, to make more money and to increase his profile as a writer. Um, but yeah, there are definitely those cases. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to make this claim about all the books that I've worked on, but I think. there really is like an inverse correlation about like the books that are surprise hits and the books that like weren't, you know, huge advances
0: up front. All right. So questions are coming in hard and fast. So I'm going to try to get to as many of these as I can. Uh, Noah, you mentioned an auction. What does it mean when a book goes to auction?
2: So my process going out on submission with a book is that, you know, I'll have conversations with editors that I like and be like, Hey, I'm working on this book and I think it's really cool. And I think you'll like it. And then I send them the manuscript with like a little pitch about it and the blurb about the author, you know, and you check in with people and you sort of keep try to keep momentum high, you know, and every once in a while, multiple people come out and they're like, Oh my God, I read this. And I love it. Like, what do you, what do you want for it? Uh, and so then you kind of wind up this, you know, the situation where on a specific day or a specific set of days where editors from publishing companies come in with amounts of money and you kind of set rules for, okay, this person bid this much. Well, now I'm going to go back to the other person and say, okay, we have this much. Do you want to outbid that person? Do you want to match them? Um, You know, I think I tend to be more on the side of, you know, as mentioned earlier, my priority is finding a passionate advocate internally for the books that I work on. So I don't really typically do these like humongous submissions where, you know, a lot of people come back very quickly with yes or nos, you know, I typically try to tailor it to a handful of people just to gauge, especially for fiction, because like, there's oftentimes too, where you're out in the marketplace, and it's like, Oh, God, there's something wrong with this book that I didn't see. So it's better to like, have six people tell me that than 60. Um, But that's kind of how I work. So, you know, typically, the auctions that I'm in are, you know, with three or four people at most. Um, But then yes, there are those situations where a lot of people are really interested in whatever you're selling. Uh, and much like you know, the auctions you see for art or antiquities on TV with the people raising their hand, it's just a very slow version of
1: that via email. Publishing is always a very slow version of something else that's going on in the world. Um, and I would just, I would add to that really quickly, and I'm sure that you do this, Noah. Just for you know the sake of the audience, you know part of that process before you go to an auction is that like you talk to the editors, right? Like we we pick people that we think are going to be a good match for you, and then if an editor is interested, we have a couple of meetings. Right. You know, used to be in person, or they can be Zoom, or they can be phone, whatever it is, just so you can see like does this person understand my vision and maybe the person who understands your vision doesn't is not able to offer as much money as somebody else. And then you got to figure out like, what what is important to me. So that's also a part, um, you know, before everybody, you know, starts making offers, like the, the author will be well versed in like, who is this publisher? Who is this editor? Like, maybe what are their marketing and, you know, publicity ideas for it. So you can make an educated decision, along with our guidance.
0: So next question, Jail, for you. Are marketing strategies something that's negotiated in the sale of a book? Can publishers be required by the contract to provide marketing?
1: That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like New Leaf has definitely gotten in the mix as far as that's concerned. And I think that it is, um, it is a leverage question, uh, depending on what you're kind of bringing to the table, um, you know, asking for a certain amount of money to be allocated and to ensure that there is, you know, and a budget, like seeing what somebody says they're going to do. There's like a list of basic things that every marketing and, you know, marketing campaign is going to show you. And to the author, it's kind of like, wow, wow, wow and then the agent's going to be like, yeah, I've seen that before. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, is it something that could be negotiated? Yes, but I don't think it, it it can be for every particular situation. And even if you can't negotiate it, that doesn't mean that you can't kind of, um, you know, powwow with your agent and come up with some ideas to like, um, you know, bring to the table for a meeting uh, when you meet with your publisher and your, uh, and your editor. So you can, you can also bring ideas.
0: Noah, anything to add to that? No, I think that was spot on. So next question, Noah, let's start with you. Is having a literary agent a must?
2: For corporate trade publishing, yes. Um, you know, even if, and I, I've known editors to do this too, even if an editor is specifically tracking someone that they wanna do a book with, of the time before they even make contact with that person or slightly thereafter, they'll loop in an agent just to, you know, grease the wheels a little bit. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the agent is there to kind of be that tour guide that JL's talking about of being like, oh, I know you're really excited about this national podcast campaign that this publisher claims that they're going to do on your behalf. But like, you got to know that like, they put this on every PDF that they send to every author that they've ever tried to work with. So like having that perspective there to have them to help you navigate this process, uh, you know, I think we're, we're worth our commission in that way. And typically we're worth our commission in our ability to take that first offer that we talked about and say like, no, you're going to pay me way more than that, or I'm going to go to somebody else. Um, so I think that objectivity and that sort of professional distance from it, you know, does prove uh, useful. Um, yeah, I don't think I, I know of any unagented uh, books like in big corporate, big five, big four and a half, whatever we're calling it now, publishing.
0: JL, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I
2: think that,
1: you know, your no other way that you know you prefaced it saying if you want to be in commercial trade publishing like yeah that's that that's the you gotta know what you want right like I've definitely met people who. Um, you know, I have a conversation, like, who is your audience? What is this book for? Are you a business person that's looking predominantly to do B2B kind of stuff? Because if you are, then then your options are going to be limited. And that's not commercial trade publishing. That could be, you know, academic publishing. So I think it's important for the author to know, like, who, you know, the audience that they're they're looking to target. Because you can't, you don't, you don't have to have an agent. But I mean, like, if you're going to go through the, pro, like, why go through uncharted territory? Wouldn't you want to work with somebody who kind of, like, knows the ropes, that can help you manage your expectations, that can help you chill out, if you're feeling nervous about something, that can answer some questions? I mean, navigating things alone, navigating uncharted waters alone, especially with something that is um, usually as close and sensitive to you as, like, your baby, your manuscript, like, why wouldn't you want somebody to, you know, like pump you up and cheerlead you and explain things to you and just like help you navigate. You know, I, I feel like we wear a lot of different hats. I'm happy to do that. Um, uh, so do you need an agent? Like, no, but you also need to know like what you're trying to do. Cause sometimes you, cause sometimes you do, you do need an agent if you wanna, um, you know, work with, with one of the top uh, publishers, so
0: next question jl we'll start with you for authors publishing their debut novel what are publishers expectations of the author for building their social media and platform ahead of publication to market their book
1: that's a good question um i mean i think that the more and again i think depending on the genre like i can speak to um, what I know, which is if you're nonfiction, you absolutely want to have a platform. Um, one of my authors um, is a, a, a therapist, her name is Katie Morton, and she wrote a book called, Are You Okay? That was um, put out by uh, Hachette and she's got her follow-up book coming. And in the, in between the time, like she has a YouTube channel and she's got a very large following. And that was definitely something that was of um, interest to the publisher. And then, you know, she she's grown so much since her last last book has come out. And I think that that having that kind of, um, you know, momentum is important. But I think you want to be clear about setting expectations at the top of the conversation when you're talking to a publisher, because I have experienced, and I'm in currently experiencing, where the ex the The tendency of the publisher to lean on the author who has a large platform can be like a little bit much. Like we can't, we have to make sure that you're not depending on the author to do everything. Now, are there certain niches? Is the author going to have access to and time and energy to um, get into kind of the crevices of a, of, of, um, a, of, a, of, a, of a marketing campaign that a publisher wouldn't? I mean, like I would say this, Publishers have their basic kind of columns of things that they're really good at, and anything outside of that is going to be on the author, um, and that's usually kind of the more nuanced things or the things that the publisher doesn't deem worth their time. Meaning, like tiny, tiny specialty stores or getting in certain magazines or whatever is precious to you. If it's not like a major media thing, you got to be ready to do that on your own. But I think having this conversation at the top of a, you know, even maybe before you accept an offer, I think is a smart thing to do because you don't want to be in a certain situation where you're pointing at me and I'm pointing at you and things aren't getting done and you feel frustrated. Like, you know, that's what contracts and these kinds of conversations and agents are for.
0: (laughs) No, anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, and I would also keep in mind too that, you know, the numbers have to be pretty big for social media, especially to make any difference, Um, you know, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of followers, or like if there's some of the newer stuff like TikTok, like if you're on there and you don't have a million followers, like that's just not a number that makes any difference. Um, but I also would caution people that you don't necessarily need social media, for example, to prove that you have a platform. Social media is just like an easy way to be like, look at this number, like here it shows the people care what I say. Um, but I'm working with a client now who has like no social media, but like he appears on MSNBC all the time. So like that's a platform, uh, you know, and that his various professional uh, entities are also his professional platform. So especially for nonfiction, I think this is a little bit different for fiction, but for nonfiction, the argument you're making with a book is that I am an authority on X and I will tell you my opinions and other people already care about this. And if you can't prove that to be demonstrably true, with some previous publishing or with social media or with, you know, TV or podcast appearances already, it's going to be tough to make that argument to a publisher that they should invest, you know, in advance to have you write a book.
0: So let's try to sneak one more question in here. It's kind of a complex question, but no, we'll start with you uh how does it work with with uh rights sales with audio rights with digital formats and kindle how does that affect royalty and can you earn out through those sales too
2: yes so that's a great question so our explanation of how royalties earn out advances was sort of simplistic so the other way that you earn out uh your advance is by these subright sales these ancillary rights that are sold um typically I would say in 2021, most of the major publishers require audiobook, at least in like the North American territory, to be part of the deal that you do up front. And of course, ebook is always part of that, of the print rights. Um, so if you're selling a book to a big, to like a Random House, they're going to want audio. They're going to want, I mean, they're going to need ebook. Um, and then when you figure out what the territory is for the book, that's also a way you can make money both against the advance and also for yourself. So you, I mean, and this comes into like how competitive the situation is, but a lot of times the agent is trying to whittle the deal down to the smallest amount of geographic territory possible. So like the ideal is like the United States only, like that's what you have. And then I can go out and sell the book to Canada and to, to Europe in every different language. And you do it by both language and uh, by geographic territory. So I can sell English rights in Australia and New Zealand. I can sell Spanish rights in Mexico and South America, and then a different edition in Spain, stuff like that. Uh, but if the, it, it turns out to be a world rights deal with Random House US, then they are the ones who are going to be selling those translation rights and those ancillary rights to other territories. And so all the money that, that they have come in from that, a percentage of it will then go against your advance as if it was a royalty. Uh, so if they sell it for uh, you know, $100,000 in Germany, it's typically like 75% uh, of that deal is against your advance too. So a lot of authors, you know, with sort of medium-sized deals, if it's a big splash overseas, they'll earn out their advance even before the book hits the shelves uh, because of these ancillary rights. The one big caveat I will put out there though, is that big publishers, no matter how big they are, no matter what company they're owned by, no matter how many different movies or TV shows that their different subdivisions make, Publishers have no business being in the movie game or the TV game. Uh, and there's no reason that you should give those rights to whomever because each publisher does not specifically have an entity that exists to sell your rights uh, to the screen. And they will only sell it if like interest comes to them. Uh, so 100% of the time, I would never include that in a deal uh, with a US publisher or
0: with any publisher. JL, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Um, I mean, I'm just impressed that you like wrapped that up like that. That was fantastic. Well, I only had
0: three minutes, so
2: I had to do my best. <laughs> like
1: you covered, like you covered, you covered all the bases. And in addition to, you know, t- and just kind of picking, piggybacking off of your last point, like a book publisher is a book publisher. They're not Hollywood. They're not, they don't know how to make movies. Like, you know, they don't need those rights. You know, they can benefit if a movie is made, then they can sell more books. They can get, you know, you can do a new cover. Um, you know, there's plenty of benefit to be had by the publisher, but they don't make movies. And I would add in addition to that is any kind of like merchandise. Thing. um there's lights that we always uh reserve um in order to be able to exploit uh in other ways but I feel like that was that was a wonderful uh <laughs> like two minutes
2: the advanced dance here I was like,
1: wow <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> so very last thing before I let y'all go I want to give you a chance to promote as all good agents do you have your clients books behind you so if you have any books coming out that you want to promote and as well tell people how they can pitch you or where they can find you so Noah, let's start with you, and Jay, I will give you final word.
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, the four books that I have just coming out here are Sidelined by Julie DeCaro, where she sort of looks at through the lens of sports about how women are treated in this country uh, and different workplace things. Uh, really, really great. She's done some awesome podcast tours and some awesome radio stuff lately. She's really cool. She's an editor for Deadspin. Uh, Jordan Farmer's The Poison Flood is a thriller set in Appalachia uh, about this musician who gets wrapped up in witnessing a murder by the son of a, a chemical magnate. Uh, Riot Baby, as mentioned, Tochio Yabuchi, and the performance by uh, Claire Thomas uh, is about three women sitting in a performance of a Beckett play, sort of thinking about their lives and coming to these major realizations as some forest fires rage outside. Very compelling, very easy read. Oh, and hey. then, if, people, if the people want to find me, uh, I'm at Noah Ballard on Twitter, um, and you can find how to query me on
1: there. Jale, how about you? I, just, I don't have my uh, my my uh, display up like Noah does, but this is what is coming out soon. Um, this is called Counting Down with You. Uh, it is coming out in a couple of weeks. Its own voices. YA. very excited about it? And then and the next uh, month in June, this is Better Together by Christine uh, Riccio. It's cool. It's going to have. To these are the arcs, they're going to be hardcover books again. Um, you know, why fiction coming out from Wednesday books, and then uh, also, this is called Turning Point. This is a nonfiction book about um, about the ballet world and how it kind of needs to get up to speed in terms of uh, you know, inclu- inclusivity, um, and things of that nature. This is um. Uh, Chloe Angel she is a journalist who writes for uh, Glamour magazine and a bunch of other publications Um, I have they all have a similar color scheme too Um, J.L. Sturmer at New Leaf Literary you can figure out how to uh, query me from there I am J.L. Lit on Instagram I'm kind of like a lurker on Twitter but I'm not really on there that much so that's me
0: all right. So for all of our listeners, thank you for being here. We are back next week. We're going to be talking about freelancing. So what that whole schematic looks like. JL, Noah, thank you both so much for being here again. It was it was wonderful.
1: Love being with you guys.
0: Thanks, Josh. Absolutely. We'll see you all next week.
1: Sounds good. Bye, everybody.